day you've given us, and uh, we are grateful and thankful to you for uh, one day out of the week to come together and to be together and worship you and hear your word preached. We pray that you would protect that right that we have in this country to assemble freely, help uh, help us to stand up for that, help us to fight for it, um, especially in prayer. And we, we thank you for this place. I thank you for my brothers and sisters here. And I pray that you would help us to listen to the Word of God preached today. Help us uh, help Pastor Rick to deliver the message in, in such a way that we may understand and uh, apply it to our lives and live in such a way in this valley that people will come to know you through our witness. And um, not for our glory, but to bring glory to your name. And we are grateful and thankful to you for the opportunity to be here today. We love you and praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please uh, turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. And then I'll be reading verses 44 through 50. Verses 44 through 50. And here, as Jesus uh, really, he, uh, in a very true sense, he's concluding his ministry to the crowds, beginning at chapter 13 and following. He's going to focus his time with his disciples. They're going to have the Passover. He's going to wash their feet. And his focus really is going to be on his disciples here. We have a clear call to faith or to believe in Jesus. Jesus describes in these verses in three distinct ways what it means to believe in him. In more than three ways. There's some sub points here. But we'll we'll see that as as I explain the outline. uh, John chapter 12 beginning at verse 44. So if you ever wanted to take somebody to the Bible and, and explain to them, well, what does Jesus mean by believing in him? What is it to believe in him? This is, this is, I think, one of the places where you should go. Verse 44, then Jesus cried out and said, he who believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come as light into the world, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command that I should say what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. This is Jesus' call to believe. It is his call to faith. So, verse 44, to believe in Jesus is to believe in God. To believe in Jesus is to believe in God. Listen to how he writes, he said, to what he says, or cries out. 
is what it literally says. Jesus cried out and said he wanted that multitude who was there to hear him. This wasn't just, um, and, and I think that this is almost uh, thematic here. This is his last real sermon to the crowds, and he yells. And he cries out so that all could hear what he's saying. And what does he say to them? He who believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. Now, these passages tend to be very hard for us when we come to them because we have this uh, tension with regards to, well, isn't he God? And, but that's not his point. Remember, the Son was sent into the world by the Father. He had a distinct and special mission as the Son of Man, as the Messiah, and he was sent into the world by his Father. But he was sent into the world as his Father, as his Father's messenger, as one who came to declare the truth of God so that men might believe in him. Listen to the way that Peter puts it. And Peter puts it very well in 1 Peter one twenty one. Peter writes, Who through him believe in God. He's speaking about believers. Yeah. Through Jesus, you believe in God. One twenty one. First Peter one twenty one. Who through him believe in God. Because he is God's Savior. Not that he saves God, but he is the Savior whom God has sent into the world. So when a person believes in Christ, they believe the words that Christ has spoken. They uh, humble themselves to accept him as their Lord and to receive him graciously as their Savior. That person believes, he testifies, that God has spoken truly. Because from the beginning of time... Well, really, after the fall, God has been promising to send this Messiah. To believe that Jesus is the Son of God is to believe all of the promises of God because they are all yes and amen in Him. Who through Him believe, I'm still reading First Peter one twenty one. who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So why does God raise him up from the dead? Why does God do that? So that your faith and hope might be in God. Because it was God who promised to give redemption to the world. And the means by which he, the means he uses is his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. To believe Christ, to believe what Christ says is to believe God. That's verse 44. It's to illustrate the point. Let's say if uh, my kids are outside playing and I say to Joshua, Joshua, go tell your brother, your sisters, your siblings, go tell your siblings that I said they need to come home. And he comes and he says, hey, dad said, come home. And they don't listen to him. Are they disobeying him? They're disobeying me. So to refuse to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, is to refuse to believe God. So uh, Muslims who say that Jesus is a prophet but do not accept him as the Son of God, they have rejected the revelation of God. And every other person, liberal Christian people who say, yes, Jesus was a good moral teacher or whatever nonsense they have concocted in their mind, they refuse to believe God if they refuse to believe who the Bible says Jesus is. 
Second, to believe in Jesus is not only to believe in God, but it is to see God. It is to see God. Look at verse 45. And he who sees me, see, and, and I think, uh, he who sees me, sees him who sent me. Now I think, here's, here's, what Jesus means by see is not with the eyeballs, right? So that um, the Samaritan woman, a Samaritan sees Jesus walking by and, you know, they lock their eyeballs on him. And they're like, oh, wow, I just saw God. No, that's not Jesus' point. See there is a metaphor for believing, of course. That Jesus is repeating himself, but he's highlighting a particular point. That in his person, the Father is revealed. He says this in a very, um, you know, a very strange way to one of his disciples. Listen to how he says this in... Um, John, in John 14, uh, he's speaking to Philip. In John 14, verse 9, Philip says to him, Well, show us the Father. In John 14, 9, Philip says to Jesus, Show us the Father. Jesus, we want to see the Father. And Jesus says, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He's not saying that he's the Father there. That's not his point. We'll keep, let's keep reading. He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Now, verse 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? And now he's, 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 he's taking us from, uh, so for example, and this is a real illustration. I, I didn't tell him I was going to do this, but uh, Fernando came over our house with his son to work on the septic tank. And uh, Jessica had, has never met Fernando's son, and it was Fernando's son who she saw first. So he walks up the hill in our backyard, and she says, that's Fernando's son. And I look, and I'm like, oh, yeah, it looks just like him. But that's not what Jesus means. He's not talking about uh, his, his physical physical features resembling his father. But there, there is a relationship that's very close to that in what Jesus is saying. So, do you not, so he says in verse 10, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? There, when Jesus says that, he takes it to a higher level beyond just resemblance like Fernando and his son. He's not just talking about resemblance. He's talking about his essential nature. Uh, he, he's getting into the mystery of the doctrine of the Trinity. He and the Father share their essence, their nature. Another comparison, right? So, um, so for ex and I'll give a couple of illustrations. So, several examples. In previous times, it doesn't happen any longer. Uh, if a man had the last name Smith, more than likely, what would he be? A blacksmith. He'd probably a blacksmith. And what would his son be? His son would be a blacksmith also, and so on and so forth. Generally, that's the way that it was. Right, so that the skills or the characteristics that were the father's also belonged to the son. Right? 
You could also see this in the disposition of a family. Let's say a mom and a dad. I'm just using a dad because Jesus is focusing on the father, but you can see this in just the family, right? If, if the disposition of the family is generally very bubbly and, and, and open and huggy kind of people, the kids are going to be that way too, right? So that the disposition of the parents or of the father, they're kind of, you see them in the children also. But what Jesus is saying here, he's speaking sort of in that same plane, but he's taking it high, he's, he's, he's speaking of it in a very divine, in a, in a, not a very, but in a divine sense. He's speaking of his nature as God. And he is saying to his disciples, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? That there is a unity between the person of the Father and the Son, so much so that you can say that they are, they are one it's not that the Father is the Son, or that the Son is the Father, but they share in the divine essence. So much so that when the Father speaks, the Son speaks, and the Spirit is speaking also. And when the Son speaks, you hear the Father. So when Jesus says to his disciples, or to the crowds in verse 45, He who sees me sees him who sent me is that the portrait that is being uh, drawn for us in the Gospels, in the person of the Son, reveals the Father's nature. Not how He looks, right? Not His characteristics, but the nature of the Son is revealing the Father. And what is the Father revealing? Just take one text. God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son, what does the sending of the Son into the world reveal to us about the Father? That He loves us. Not only that He loves us, but that He is merciful. Not only that He's merciful, but that He's just, because He's going to punish sin. Not only that He's just, but that He's gracious. He's going to give us what we do not deserve by giving us His Son. So that the Father is being revealed to us in the person of His Son, as His Son lives in this world, as his son dies in this world, the father is revealing himself to us. So when you see the son, you see the father also. Verse 35. Verse 46 now. Verse 46. To believe in the son is to refrain from sin. Look at verse 46. I have come, uh, 1246. I have come as light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And again, he's using another figure of speech, right? He comes as light into the world. If you're in a dark room and you turn on the light, what does it give you? Visibility, right? You're, now you are able to see. And with Jesus coming into the world, the darkness that existed among the Jewish people because of all of the legalism and false worship, all of that is now being exposed. The light of the Son of Man is now exposing the religious hypocrisy of the Jewish leaders. Therefore, those who are in that religious darkness, what he does is he calls them out of it. And that's what Jesus continues to do today. In many churches, when Christ is not preached 
And then Christ begins to be preached. What he does is he exposes the religious hypocrisy of the people. He sheds light upon them. I love the way that um, that uh, uh, Paul puts it in um, 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, he says it this way. It's in uh, 2 Corinthians 4, I believe. Yes, it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 5, 2 Corinthians 4, 5, Paul says, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ the Lord, and ourselves and ourselves your bondservant for Christ's sake. So what's the ministry of Paul, right? When he came into any city, any synagogue, any Gentile's house, everywhere that he went, if you wanted to describe what Paul was doing is he was preaching Christ. And why was he preaching Christ? This is why. 4, verse 6. It is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. Now he has creation in mind, right? Remember Genesis chapter 1? God says there's the, the world is formless and, and void. And God says, let there be light. And into that darkness, light enters. For it is the God, and, and that is the way that Paul views his preaching in the synagogues and in the world. That there is darkness, and when he preaches Christ, it shines a light. It exposes the need of man. It exposes man's sinfulness. It exposes our hearts to God. Who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And what he means there by his face, not literal face, but in his person. What God is doing when the gospel is preached is he is revealing his glory in the person of his son. All of his, and you can say, but what do you mean by the glory of God? It can mean various things, but his attributes, essentially, he is revealing himself to us in the person of his son. And when God reveals himself to us in the person of his son, really and truly, when that call comes and it is an effectual call, one of the things that it does is it causes the people of God to turn from darkness. From the darkness of their life, the way that they used to live it. They no longer want to live the way that they were living in hostility and in rebellion against God. Ephesians chapter 2, right? Living in that darkness. The person who genuinely believes in Jesus, who hears his cry and his call, God shines light upon that person and they say, no more will I live in rebellion to God. I'm going to leave that darkness. So sins of the mind, right? Entertaining uh, sinful thoughts and, and sinful plans, they're cast out. Those idols of the heart, those things that had a grip on you, whether it was um, uh, sensual things, whether it was materialism, whatever, whatever those things are, the Lord 
releases the grip of those things upon the heart. No longer does the Christian want to live the way that he used to, in darkness. He now wants to live in the light of Christ. Um, The psalmist says, in your light we see light, or we have life. John continues. So, verse 46, to believe in Christ is to refrain from darkness. Now look at verse 47. John 12, 47. John 12, 47. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. What's going on there? Well, to believe in Jesus, very simply, is to be saved. To believe in Jesus, very simply, is to be saved. Now listen to what he says. If anyone hears my words, right? Seeing, hearing, he's, he's talking about all of these senses. Now, to, now to hear my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. What does Jesus mean here? He's talking about his first coming. In his first coming, did Jesus come, did Jesus come into the world as a judge? No, he came into the world to save. Again, I take you back to John 3.16. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That is why Christ came into the world. Now, he's not speaking about his second coming though. Because in his second coming, he comes as a judge to judge the world. You have to take Jesus' statement in in their specific historical context. He's speaking to the Jewish people. This is while he was still on earth. This is before his crucifixion. So what he is saying to them is that I didn't come. Remember when uh, um, there's a man who asked Jesus to resolve an issue he's having with his brother. And Jesus says, man, I'm not a judge. That's not why I came here. I'm not going to be an arbiter between you and your brother. That's not the purpose of me coming into the world. He doesn't come to, to judge the world in his first coming. He comes into the world to be the savior of the world. That is the purpose for Christ coming into the world. He repeats this through, throughout his... Um, throughout his... Uh, um, a ministry, particularly in the Gospel of John. So uh, look, look at verse, right in verse 48, he says it also. Look at verse 48. He who rejects me does not, and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. So it almost seems like a contradictory statement, but Jesus is speaking about time. He's saying, right now, as I'm standing here upon this world, before my second coming, I'm not a judge. I'm a savior. But on the last day, your rejection of the words that I have spoken, which are the very words of God, will stand to condemn you because you refuse to believe them. So in that sense, Jesus is saying, I'm not a judge now, but I will be later. 
My own words are going to judge you. And he repeated this throughout the gospel. So just one other place. John 5, 45. Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. Right? I'm not a judge. There is one who accuses you. Moses, in whom you trust. What does he mean by Moses? The scriptures. The, the very word of God. He didn't come into the world to judge. He came into the world to save. So to believe in Jesus, to hear his words, is to be saved, not to be condemned. John twelve forty seven. Now look at verse 48. He who rejects me, and, and here, here you get to, uh, I think, a, a theme that the Jewish people, as Jesus is saying this, they should have picked up on. In Deuteronomy 18, 19, God promised that he would send a prophet through Moses, a prophet that would be greater than Moses. Let me turn there. And uh, he says this, beginning at verse 17 in Deuteronomy 18. He says, And the Lord said to me, What they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I commanded him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. I will require it of that person. So as Jesus is speaking the words of God to the Jewish people and they refuse to believe him, they are rejecting God's prophet, they are rejecting God's word. And for those of us who are sitting here today hearing the words of Christ and we refuse to believe in him, we are refusing to believe God. That is the person whom we ultimately have an issue with, is the God of heaven. When we refuse to believe Christ, when we refuse to accept Christ as he has offered to us in the gospel, we are refusing to believe God. Then Jesus continues, to believe in Jesus then is to be saved, is to be justified, not condemned, verse 48. Verse 49 Verse 49. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command. What I should say and what I should speak. I'll read verse 50 also. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, I so, uh, told me, so I speak. So, verse 49, to believe in Jesus is to hear God. To believe in Jesus is to hear God. And this is an issue that men have, is that they refuse to believe the words of Christ because he is a man. You'll hear people give this excuse all the time with regards to Christianity. That the book was written by men, that it has errors, so on and so forth. All of these different kinds of arguments that are put forward. But when Christ came into the world, he spoke in human language. What was he going to speak? Klingon? <laughs> um, he spoke in a human language to human men that they might understand him. He was communicating to them. And what was he communicating? The truth of God. The very words of God is what they needed to hear. Jesus in John 3.11, he said, Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak uh, what we know 
and we testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. Verse 32 in the same chapter, he says, and what we have seen and heard, that we testify, and no one receives his testimony. What Jesus has seen and what he's heard, that that is what he is witnessing about. What is it that he has seen and heard? Well, he has seen and heard things that God has revealed to him. Things that we needed to hear for the sake of our redemption. And what have we done with those things? Well, the believers have trusted God. They have received God's very word by receiving the words of Christ. But those who refuse are rejecting God. And they reject God's purposes and plans for them. I love the way that um, Jesus puts this in Revelation. In Revelation, chapter 21. In Revelation chapter, no, I'm sorry, 22. In Revelation chapter 22, beginning at verse 12, Jesus says this. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. That is what Jesus is, is, is saying here. You know, the, the, those that keep the commands of God is not necessarily those who do acts of obedience. Yes, that's, that's there also. But those who keep the commands of God are those who believe them. And the command that God has given when he sent his son into the world is that men ought to believe in him. Not only to the facts, as we talked about in Sunday school, right? There, there is a knowledge. He, he's, uh, he was born uh, sinless. He was born under the law. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He lived a sinless life. He performed miracles. He preached. He was crucified. He died. He was raised from the dead, and he ascended into heaven. That's, that's um, there are, Millions of people who believe those things who will not go to heaven. There are millions of people who believe those things and assent to them and agree. Yes, I believe he was a historical person. And I believe that that historical person lived the sinless life and that he was crucified, so on and so forth. Those people won't go to heaven. It is those who believe those things savingly who trust in Christ alone for their salvation, who have seen their sinfulness and their need for redemption and have cried out for God to save them. And when I say cry out, I don't mean necessarily with tears in your eyes. God is not in heaven measuring, you know, the tears. It's not what he's doing. But there must be this assured confidence that the only way for you to be right with God is in the person of his son. And these are the last words, John chapter 12, verses 44 through 50, are the last words that he speaks publicly to the Jewish people in the gospel of John in this particular way. This is his last sermon to them. And his call to them, if you wanted to boil it down, is believe in me. Rest upon me, accept me as I am offered to you in the gospel. 
as Lord and Savior. Receive me as I have preached. Don't try to clean me up. Don't try to make Jesus politically correct, but receive me as I am offered to you in the gospel and rest upon me alone for your salvation. That is what Christ is calling these Jewish men and women to do. And unfortunately, many of them refused to believe. They rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. And today, it's the same. The message hasn't changed. 2,000 years later, we're still preaching the same gospel. And men still refuse to believe. But for those who have heard Jesus, for those who have believed in him, they've believed the one who sent him. They have believed and they have trusted God. And they have believed to the saving of their souls. So in light of these things, brothers and sisters, let us go to God in prayer. Let us thank him for the faith that he's given us and let, him, let us ask him uh, to help us to communicate these things to others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the promises that you have fulfilled in the person of your son. We thank you for working in us, Lord, effectually calling us to believe in Christ and therefore to believe in you, to see Christ, and therefore to see you, and to refrain from acts of darkness, to believe in him and to be saved, to be justified, to hear you, and ultimately, Lord, to have eternal life. We thank you for giving us these things in your Son, and we ask, Lord God, that you would help us to live in light of them with great hope and joy, and to communicate them to others who do not know you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now please stand and sing, and then remember we have a memory.